Well, it is such a rich uh, blessing to be in Midland, Texas, and to be at Westside. And uh, I want to thank Brother Adam for his kind words. It's a pleasure to meet Adam. Thank you for, you know, if, if heaven is what I think it is going to be, there will be justice in heaven, and a man won't be able to be a great preacher and a great song leader at the same time. So, uh, Adam, you're a great preacher, I know, and a great song leader. So thank you for leading our thoughts tonight. And thank you very much, Brother Richard, for that prayer you led us in. I bring you greetings from Harvey Lusk. He said to be sure and say hello from the Lusk family. I think he grew up in this church, and um, he's very dear to me and to, to our family. And I got a note just a few minutes ago from a young man named David Vestal, and he said, hug my parents and tell all those people I love them. So it's great to be here at Westside. I've been looking forward to this. Mike and I have been talking about it for a few years now, and we're glad that we could work it out. I don't know any, uh, any man who is a man of God who I have more respect for than Mike Vestal. Uh, Mike is um, a friend to many, many preachers, uh, and you are to be um, thanked and encouraged for allowing Mike uh, to spend time with preachers and to encourage them, and he does that as well as anybody I know. And um, Mike and I were in college together, and Cherie and... Cherie reminded me tonight that I was a lot older than they were, but uh, I didn't remember that, but thank you, Cherie, for that. But um, Mike and I were, um, <laughs> were in the same social club, and we were in preacher's club together and some other things, and when we were in college at Freed Hardeman, they had uh, full contact football. Uh, you had uh, pads and everything, helmets. It wasn't flag football. It was full contact. And I was the quarterback, and Mike was uh, like the middle linebacker. And he was one of the most tenacious hitters I've ever been around in my life as a football player. And, and guess what? He's still tenacious, isn't he? In a different way uh, for the cause of Christ and the preaching of the gospel. So it's good to be here. I'm very thankful for the opportunity to study the Word of God with you. I want to invite you to open your Bible tonight to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to, the plan is that we're going to look at the book of Ephesians tonight and tomorrow night and Saturday night. And then on Sunday, three times, we're going to look at the book of Revelation. They're closely linked together. We'll explain the link as we go through the course of the study. And the book of Ephesians is written, of course, to the church at Ephesus. It was a church that the Apostle Paul loved a great deal. He probably spent more time in Ephesus than he did in any other church. He was there, according to his own words, at least three years. He said to the elders of the Ephesian church on the island of Miletus when he met them there, while he was on his way to a missionary journey, and they came up from Ephesus and met him at Miletus. And while he was there, he told them that he had not, he had not declined to preach the whole counsel of God to them. Uh, that he had wept with them for three days, uh, night and day, or for three years, night and day. So he loved this church. He loved the people. If you've never been to Ephesus, you ought to think about going sometime. Uh, I lead tours to Greece every other year, and in the between years, we go to Israel. I've been doing it for about... Uh, 15 years now, and uh, I love to go to Ephesus. It has some of the most beautiful ruins in all the world. We'll be going to Ephesus next year. We're going to Israel in November, but it has some of the most beautiful ruins in the entire world, the beautiful library. There was a a great uh, Colosseum in Ephesus that held probably around 25,000 people. The city of Ephesus in Paul's day was probably around 250,000 people, and Paul loved that church, and he loved that city, And later on, he would write this letter to them. And uh, we could spend a lot of time with background, but I want to get into the letter. And 
this letter could be easily divided into three sections. There are a lot of different ways you might divide it, but three sections uh, might help it make it a little bit easier for us to understand. The first um, part of the book, the first two chapters primarily, Paul talks about the Christian's position, the position that we have in Christ. And we'll spend a lot of time tonight talking about chapter 1 and 2. And then uh, uh, tomorrow night we'll talk about the plan of God. And that's chapter 3. It's kind of right in the middle of the book. So you have chapter 1 and 2, the Christian's position, chapter 3, God's plan. And uh, look, if you have to miss a lesson, I hope you don't miss tomorrow night. It may be one of the most important lessons that we can study as the church about the plan of God because we need to know God's plan if we're going to teach and preach God's plan uh, to the world. And then the third section of the book is chapters 4 through 6, and it deals with the Christian's practice, how we are to live our lives. So what Paul does is he begins by telling us who we are, and then later on he's going to tell us how we're supposed to live. Now, the fact is that that we will really never be what we're supposed to be or live the way that we're supposed to live unless we understand who we are. And so Paul begins by with some very foundational doctrinal discussion about where the Christian is, about who we are. And then he's going to get into the more practical part about how we live. But we have to first understand who we are. And the the key thought in Ephesians chapter 1 is the phrase, in Christ. And Paul uses this phrase, in Christ, over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, depending on the translation of scriptures that you're using, he would use that phrase or a phrase similar to it, in Christ, 15 different times in chapter 1. Now, if Paul says something that many times, it must be important. And what he is trying to get us to know is who we are so that we can learn how we're supposed to live. We'll never know how to live unless we understand who we are. And the point that he wants to drive home is that we are in Christ. And then in chapter 2, he's going to explain why it's important for us to recognize that we are in Christ. I have three grandchildren. My oldest grandchild is a little girl who is now 11 years old. And when she was very little, a lot of times she would fall down on the ground. And I would say to her, her name is Evie Lee Scott. She was named, uh, the middle name Lee is um, her mother's name. And uh, her grandmother, my wife, who passed away a few years ago, is named Lee. And so they named her Evie Lee Scott. And um, she would fall down, and I would say to her, Evie Lee, come over here to Dr. Pops, and I'll make it better for you. Well, she would say to me, Pops, you're not a doctor. And she would fall down again, and I would say, Evie Lee, come to Dr. Pops, and I'll fix it for you. And she would say, Pops, you're not a doctor. And she would fall down again, and I would say, Evie Lee, come to Dr. Pops, and I'll make you well. And she'll say, Pops, you're not a doctor. And every time she would fall down, I would say, come to Dr. Pops. Finally, she got sick of me, I think. And uh, I said to her, Evie Lee, come to Dr. Pops and I'll fix it. She pointed her little finger at me and she said, Pops, you're not, a pre- you're not a doctor, Pops, you're a preacher. And then she said, Pops, why don't you just stick to what you know? You know, sometimes it, when it comes to our walk with the Lord, it'll help us if we stick to what we know, if we understand who we are. So let's look at what Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 1. He begins by describing himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and that was done by the will of God. And he says, to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Did you know that if you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit says that you are a saint? If you're a child of God, you are a saint. Now, it's not the term saint, it's not the way that some religious uh, groups and religious leaders use it, but if we are children of God, we are called saints. Uh, Oftentimes, we call each other brother and sister, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
But from the biblical standpoint, you could call each other a saint. Now, you may be thinking, well, I know some Christians who aren't very much like saints. Uh, I heard about a, a man who uh, had passed away, and the preacher, or his brother, called the preacher, and he said, I want you to pr- do the funeral for my brother. And he said, your brother was not a very good man. I can't do that funeral. And he said, I want you to do the funeral, and if you'll call my brother a saint, I'll pay you double what I was going to pay you. The preacher thought about it, and he said, okay, I'll do it. The preacher stood up, and he talked about this man, and he said he was a, a crook, and he was a cheat, and he was a liar, and he was a terrible businessman, but next to his brother, he was a saint. Uh, sometimes, uh, you'll, you'll catch on to that about midway through the sermon. Uh, you are a saint if you are in Christ. You've been washed by the blood of Jesus. And notice the, the way Paul describes it here. Those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. So we want to look at this phrase, in Christ. Look at verse uh, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Look at verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Look at verse 5. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. Look at verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. You get a a sense of what Paul is doing here? He's trying to remind Christians who are saints, who are faithful, that you are in Christ, that you are in Christ Jesus, that you are in him, that you are in the beloved. Look at verse 7, in him we have redemption uh, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Uh, Look at verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will. And we'll talk about the will, the mystery of God tomorrow night in chapter 3. And Paul's going to say in the first part of chapter 3 that he wrote briefly to you about the mystery uh, previously. And this is where he did it in chapter 1. And so notice the wording here that he uses. Uh, uh, he says, uh, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. And he's going to tell us in chapter 3 that the, the mystery of God, the wisdom of God is made known through the church. And this was a part of the eternal purpose of God in Christ Jesus. And so he's going to bring up this phrase in Christ over and over and over again. Look at verse 10. With a view to an administration. He's going to use that term later on in chapter 3. Suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him. Really it's the beginning of verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Having predestined us according to his purpose. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. Look at verse 12. To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ. Would be to the praise of his glory. Uh, Verse 13. In him he says. You also after listening to the message of truth. The gospel of your salvation. Here he explains a part of how you get into Christ. You're in Christ because you obeyed the gospel that you heard. The message of truth, which is the gospel that you heard. Look at the end of verse 13. Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Uh, Verse 14. Who has given us a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. To the praise of his glory. Look at verse 15. For this reason... I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints. He calls them saints again. Those who are in the Lord Jesus. 
Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 20, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Depending on the translation, 15 different times, Paul is telling the saints who are faithful in Ephesus that you are in Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't know anything that is better news that you could tell to a Christian that is more important and that is better than the fact that you are in Christ. And you know how you became a Christian. You know that you were baptized into Christ. Romans chapter 6 tells us in verses 3 and 4 in Galatians 3 verse 27. And by the way, that's the only way you can get in Christ. There's only one way to get into Christ. And that's by being baptized into him. And we were, we're baptized into him. We we're raised to walk a new life. But we will always be in him. Now listen carefully to this. There are things in your life that people can take away from you. There are things in your life that the world can take away from you. You might be a member of some society or some club or some a group. And, and you can have that membership taken away from you. You might be a member of some kind of team, some sports team, and you can, you can have that taken away from you. You might be a member of some community organization, and you can have that taken away from you. Uh, they can take away your money, and they can take away your home, and they can take away your car. You might have a loved one who has taken from you uh, way too early. But I want to tell you something tonight. Once you are in Christ Jesus, nobody can ever take that away from you. When you are in Christ, you will always be in Christ. Now, now, don't get ahead of me. Don't say the preacher is saying something you shouldn't say here because you can choose to walk away from him. You can choose to turn your back on him. You can choose to say no to him. But even if you do, listen carefully, even if you do, you are still in him. You are in him. And when you decide, like that prodigal who decided to return home because he came to himself and he came back to his father, and he said, I'd rather be a slave in my father's house than to feed these pigs. When you come back home, you don't have to be baptized again. Why? Because you're already in Christ. And if you are in Christ today, if you are a faithful saint in Christ that he's talking about here in verse 1, if you are in Christ, nobody can ever, ever, ever take that away from you. And it is the greatest gift that you can possibly have in your life. Because they can take away a lot of things from you. They can take away people from you. They can take away position from you. But they cannot take away the fact that you are in Christ Jesus. I heard a fellow say one time. That when Satan comes and he tries to tempt you. When he tries to discourage you. When he tries to get you to feel defeated. When he tries to remind you of the past life that you live that you need to turn around and you need to remind him when he's trying to remind you of your past, you need to remind him of his future. Let me tell you what your future is. If you are in Christ, your future is reserved in heaven for you, Peter says. It is an eternal home that Jesus has gone to prepare for us. Nobody can ever take away the fact that you are in Christ. And Paul closes this chapter by saying, about the church, that it is his body, the fullness of him, listen to these words, who fill all in all. If you're a child of God, you are in Christ. And what Paul is going to do in chapters 4 through 6 is try to remind us how we are supposed to live our lives because we are in Christ. 
But before he gets there, he wants to tell them why it's so important that they're in Christ. And what he does is, beginning in chapter 2, and he's going to bring this same theme up again in chapter 4 and in chapter 5, but primarily we'll spend our time, the rest of the time tonight in chapter 2, Paul is going to give what I would call some formerly but now statements. And what he's doing here is he's saying, this is how you used to be, and you don't have to be that way anymore because you're in Christ. And this is important for us as Christians to recognize that because it will help us live the way that we're supposed to live, but it will also help us teach those who are not in Christ yet. So let's look at what he said, verse 1 of chapter 2. You were dead in trespasses and sins. He's reminding them of where they were. He's told them over and over and over again in chapter 1. You are in Christ. You are in the beloved. You are in him. You are in Jesus Christ. Over and over and over again. And now he wants them to remember that before they were in Christ, they were dead in their trespasses and sins. And notice the language in verse 2. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is, in, that is now working in the sons of disobedience. He's reminding them, this is the way you used to live. Have you ever thought about in your life, in your walk with God, in your spiritual growth, the fact that you were in Christ, you ever compared that to the way you used to live your life? Paul was allowing them to give thanks to God for the fact that they don't live like they used to live. They're no longer the way that they used to be. And so he said, there was a time in your life that you, uh, you walked according to the course of the world. You listened to what the devil said. You walked according to the power, the prince of the power of the air. And you lived like those who are now sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh. Brothers and sisters, let's be careful. Let's be careful about thinking that, that somehow we are Christians because we are special. Let's be careful about thinking that we are Christians because we, um, we're better than everybody else in the world. Paul wants us to remember that we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. We lived indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, even as all the rest of those are now. It would help us to remember that we've not always been what we are now. That we were at a time we lived according to our own desires, the way that we wanted to live. And then in verse 4, Paul begins this verse with two of the sweetest words known to man, but God, but God. You walked according to the course of the world. You followed the prince of the power of the air. You lived like the sons of disobedience. You lived according to the lust of the flesh and you indulged the desires of the flesh and of the mind and you were children of wrath. Have you ever noticed that Paul didn't say, but you changed your life? That's not what he said. You didn't get out of that because you all of a sudden made up your mind that, that, you, that you know everything that you need to know. It wasn't, it wasn't your initiative that got you to God. Salvation is not by our initiative. It is God who chose to save us. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, that even while we were sinners, Christ died for, the, for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 17 and 18, Paul is writing about the fact that, verse 17, old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. And then in verse 18, he says, at the beginning of verse 18, all these things are of God. They're not of you. 
They're of God. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. And then parenthetically, he reminds us that it is because of the grace of God that we've been saved. And he raised us up with him. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There's that phrase again. For by grace you've been saved, verse 8 says, through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Paul uses this phrase, a gift of God's grace, over and over and over again in this book. He's going to use it about three different times that we'll see tomorrow night in chapter 3. It's not a result of works that you did so that you don't have a right to boast. For we are his workmanship. The word workmanship there is the Greek word poema. The word poema is the word that we get our English words like poem and and poetry. Um, Some scholars say the word here represents a masterpiece. You didn't do this yourself. It wasn't because of your intelligence or your ingenuity or your creativity. It was because of the great mercy and the love of God with which he loved us that he made us his masterpiece. And how are we his masterpiece? Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And then look at verse 11. In verse 11, Paul is going to remind um, these Christians about how they formerly lived, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called in circumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Now look at verse 12. In verse 12, that begins with the word remember, he's going to give five, um, five case studies in the way that people lived their lives before they were children of God. Five ways that you can tell that you're not a child of God. Listen to what he says. Remember that formerly, there's that formerly but now statement. Formerly, you the Gentiles in the flesh. Uh, formerly, you were at that time, number one, you were separate from Christ. Before you're in Christ, you're separate from Christ. Number two, he says, you were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. That means you were not a part of the, the, the family of God that began with the nation of Israel. Number three, he says in verse 12, that you were strangers to the covenant of promise. You were not heirs to the promise. He's going to say later on in chapter three that they became heirs to the promise, but they're not heirs to the promise before they became members of the body of Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenant of promise. Number four, you were without hope, without hope. I don't know of a, a worse place a person can be in our world that is worse than being without hope. Our world is filled with people who are, who are longing for hope. They're trying to cling on to anything that will give them hope. But without Christ, you're without hope. And number five, you're without God in this world. And if that's not a description of a non-Christian, I don't know of a better place in the Bible you'll read one. They were, they were separate from Christ. We were separate from Christ. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Number three, we're strangers from the covenant of hope, of, of promise. Number four, we were without hope. And number five, we were without God in the world. And then look at verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, there it is again. Because you're in Christ, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. And so Paul is reminding the people the way that they used to live compared to the way that they live their lives now. How they used to be, how they used to act, what they used to be like. If you turn to chapter 4, he's going to, uh, to do the same thing. He's going to remind them of where they are. Look at verse 17. Affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk in the futility of the mind. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. They become callous. They give themselves over to sensuality for the practice of, of every kind of impurity and greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, he says. If indeed you've heard of him, you've been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus. And then look at how Paul describes this in verse 22. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and you've been renewed in the spirit of your mind, and you put on a new self, which is the likeness of God, having been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So Paul is trying to get those early Christians to, to realize, and he's trying to get all of us to realize that when we become children of God, that we are in Christ. That is our position. And nobody can ever take that away from us. We are in Christ, and, and because we're in Christ, we, we remember from time to time how we used to live, how we used to walk, how we used to be. And Paul says, you're no longer that way. You don't live that way anymore. You don't walk that way anymore. Look at chapter 5, verse 6. Let no man deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. There's the same phrase he used back in chapter 1, uh, verse 2. Therefore do not be partakers with them. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk therefore as children of light. Now, now notice in this verse, Paul doesn't say you were, you were walking in darkness. He says you were darkness. He doesn't say you're, you're now walking in light. He says you are light. Jesus said you are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do men light a candle and put it on a bushel, under a bushel, but on a candlestick, so that all that are in the house can see it. You didn't just walk in darkness, but you were darkness. You were the, your life was the very definition of darkness. Paul would say here that you walked according to the futility of your mind. You had a depraved mind. But now, you are light, and notice what he says, you are light in the Lord. You're light in the Lord. And because you're light in the Lord, you need to walk as children of light. Don't participate, verse 11 says, in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Don't live the way that you used to live any longer. So do not be foolish, he says in verse 17, but understand what the will of the Lord is for your lives. So what Paul is saying here in chapter 5 in verse 8 is that, that because you're no longer darkness, but now you're light, you need to walk as children of light. Going back to what we were saying earlier, that means that, that when we understand who we are, we understand our position, it'll be easier for us to, to walk the way that we're supposed to walk, to practice what we're supposed to practice. Let me give you another illustration. My youngest grandson is a, a boy named Forrest. His name is Forrest Austin Scott. Austin was my name, 
in my son's name and my dad's name and my granddad and my great-granddad. So he's named, people say, how did he get his name? And say, well, they named him Austin. That's a family name. They named him Forrest because they're tree huggers. And some of y'all will catch that a little bit later too. But uh, when, my, when, when uh, I would go visit my family, they lived in Oklahoma and they didn't have enough beds and so I couldn't sleep in their bed. So I'd have to go get a hotel. And I would take the grandchildren to the hotel, get them away from the parents for a night. It would give them a break and it would let me spend time with the grandchildren. And you know, I could spoil them and we would have popcorn and ice cream at midnight. And then I'd send them back to their parents and give the parents another reason to hate me. So uh, my youngest grandson, Forrest, he, would, he wouldn't go with me. I said, Forrest, why don't you go? He said, Pops, I'm not old enough yet. I said, when will you be old enough? He said, Pops, when I'm four years old, I'll be old enough. We had his fourth birthday and he left the room and I said, where are you going? He said, Pops, I'm four now. I'm going to spend the night with you. We got to the hotel and we got our key and we went up to the top floor and the key didn't work. And they, you know, they give you two keys. The second key didn't work. We had to go back down and get the, uh, two more keys. We went all the way down. We got two more keys. We came back up. The first key didn't work and the second key didn't work. Forrest is getting a little frustrated and so am I. And he said, Pops, do we have to go all the way back down there again? I said, no, we're going to call the front desk. They're going to send a maintenance guy up here and he's going to open the door for us. So we called. He said, he'll be there in 10 minutes. Well, as you can guess, 10 minutes, he wasn't there. About 35 minutes later, I see him get off the elevator. And I said to my grandson, I said, Forrest, I think he's coming around the corner. What are we going to do when he gets here? And my four-year-old grandson said, Pops, when that guy gets here, I'm going to punch him in the face. I said, Forrest. I thought, okay, this is a great teaching moment here. I need to explain to him that we don't punch people in the face just because they don't do what we like. I said, Forrest, we can't punch him in the face. I said, Jesus wouldn't want us to punch him in the face. I said, "Um, you can't, just because something doesn't go your way, you can't go around punching people in the face. And I said, Christians don't punch people in the face. And I promise you, my four-year-old grandson looked at me and he said, Pops, I'm only four years old. I'm not a Christian. I'm going to punch him in the face. Well, you're probably thinking about now some people you'd kind of like to punch in the face. But you don't do that. You know why? Because you understand what it means to walk as children of light. To walk as children of light. And Paul said, formerly, you were in darkness. You were darkness. But now, you're light. And because you're light, you're going to spread the light of Jesus Christ to the world around you. And you're not going to go punch somebody in the face just because you don't get your way or because things don't go the way you want them to go. Why? Because you walk as children of light. And when we do what the Holy Spirit tells us to do, it means we will treat people the way they need to be treated and we will love other people and we will be kind to other people and we'll walk in this life as children of light. Paul said you were darkness, but now... You are light. And we're only light because we understand what it means to be in Christ. He goes on to say in the last part of this chapter that we're to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. And we're to give thanks always for the things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And we're to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. When we, we will only live the way that we're supposed to live and act the way that we're supposed to act and do what we're supposed to do when we have a full understanding of who we are. And when we come to the knowledge that we are saints who are faithful in Christ, it'll change everything about the way that we live. 
It'll change everything about the way we treat one another. It'll change everything about the way a husband treats his wife and wife treats her husband and how parents treat their children and how brothers and sisters treat one another and how we behave at work and how we act toward people who are not Christians because we know that we used to be like that. And we don't want to be that way anymore because we want to be light. We don't want to be darkness. And I don't have to tell you that there's enough darkness in the world without Christians adding to the darkness. We need to take away from the darkness by being light and by walking in the light of Jesus. And when we come to understand who we are and God's plan for the church, it will help us live the way that we're supposed to live. So tomorrow night, I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you to to go home tonight and to read Ephesians chapter 3. I know you've read it before. I know you've studied it. I know you've had Bible classes and, and heard sermons on it. But I want to challenge you to read it again. And we're going to look at it one more time because it is, a, it is the most comprehensive picture of God's plan for the church in the New Testament. I hope you'll be with us tomorrow night. And then on Saturday, we'll talk about how we're supposed to live. And then Sunday, we'll connect it all to the book of Revelation. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian... I don't want to be unkind about this, but if you've never obeyed Jesus Christ, you are not in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, it is impossible for you to live like light. If you're not in Christ, it's impossible to be a part of the blood-bought institution, the church that Jesus established. And so tonight, you can become a part of that family. You can become a part of that church through faith Repentance, that means I've been living life the way I want to live, and I'm going to turn it over to Him and live the way He wants me to live. By confessing His name before those who are present, by being immersed, buried with Him in baptism, you will be baptized into Christ and raised to walk a new life. Because now you understand you're no longer darkness, but now you're light. And if you've never obeyed Christ, we want to encourage you to do that tonight. Give your life to Him, He will put you in His kingdom. He will wash away all of your sins. He'll add your name to the Lamb's book of life. And he'll put you on your road to glory. And if you're here tonight and you're a Christian, but you haven't been walking in the light. If you've not been living like you are light, but rather living like you're darkness. It may be that you need to ask. It was definitely true you need to ask God to forgive you. But you may need to ask the church to pray for you and help you. And so tonight, if we can help you in any way. If you have any spiritual need that we can address. We want to help one another. Our goal, all of us should have the goal that none of us are journeying this life alone. That we're all here together and we want to help each other along the way. If we can be of help to you tonight in any way, we invite you to come right now while we stand together and while we sing this song.